Welcome to Daybreak Devotions, a podcast version of the daily radio ministry of the McLeansville Baptist Church with your host, Pastors Mike Barnett and Corey Cantrell. Would you like to welcome everybody to Daybreak Devotions today? I would love to welcome everybody to Daybreak Devotions today. Welcome to today's Daybreak Devotions. It's a terrific Thursday. It most certainly is. We're glad to have everybody join us. This is Pastor Mike Barnett and Pastor Corey Cantrell. And we're glad to be with you as we have been this week on a journey talking about and discovering some truth about the the, the, the dangers of the world that we are living in and operating in, the realities of that that are given to us in Scripture, but how we can, with the Lord's help, uh, function in a way that is holy and helpful to the kingdom of God. We can, as Jesus said and prayed for us, we can be living in this world and yet not be of this world. And so today we continue that discussion. Let me give uh, Let me give a a text and context to the discussion. So we have been in uh, John 17, and we are going to go there today. But I want to just remember or reflect back on 1 John 2, 15, which says that uh, John wrote to us, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And I gave this definition yesterday on how we can kind of describe and understand what we mean by the world. And it is this. The world, not being a certain segment of society marked by their morality or politics or appearance, but the world can best be understood by this description. It is the secular culture through which Satan rules, and it consists of a set of values, attitudes, and practices of which the greatest purpose is to distract the hearts of men and women. And let me add, believers and unbelievers alike, but to distract the hearts of men and women from knowing God and from trusting God with everything in their lives. And we have concluded that the world is full of the world, mm-hmm. and the church is often full of the world. Believers can have too much of the world in them, and that's a dangerous place to be. So we want to help that. We want to help people fight and push back against that because we want to be in the world but not of the world. I guess it's kind of like what I – where was I at when I said this the other day? Oh, it was at the uh, at Vandalia, at the kindergarten oh. chapel. Um, I was teaching about t- teaching the kindergartners about the leaven. Jesus warned against the leaven of the Pharisees, and and, he, and and they the disciples thought he was making a you know point. He was really trying to. Well, that's something to think about, isn't it? Even Jesus just couldn't be taken for what he was saying at face value. They thought he was complaining because they forgot to bring bread. Yeah. Little did they understand. He had just fed thousands of people with five loaves and two fish. He wasn't worried about bread. Pretty sure he wasn't concerned about where his next meal was coming from. But I told the the children at Vandalia in the kindergarten class, I said, this thing of leaven or yeast as we know it is a type of fungus. And from my research, I found that it's actually found on the human skin. Huh? It's alive. And it that just makes it sound really creepy, right? But I told them, I said, look, it might be on you, but the thing we're trying to do is keep it from getting in you. And the same thing can be said about the world. Ah, that's a good analogy. Because well, I mean, if you if you apply it 
we're going to we're going to have the world on the exterior all around us. Mm-hmm. That's our mission. Keep it on the exterior. We can't control what goes on outside, but we can control what we allow inside. And so I have good point. Good point. Well, to that point that you just said, that reminds me of uh, there up in the upper room that night when Jesus, after supper, got his towel and his bowl of water and began to wash the disciples' feet. Peter said, wash me all over, Lord. And Jesus said, no, you only need to have your your feet washed because you're clean in every way. But the problem is, is when you're traveling through this world, you're going to get a little bit of the dust on you, so let's get that washed off. Every day we need to do a little scrubbing. Make sure that world that's trying to cling to us doesn't get inside of us, doesn't infiltrate. James 4.4, I think we referenced this yesterday, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now, every professing follower of Jesus should be paying attention to that scripture and asking themselves, well, what is the world then? I need to know what what this thing of the world is because I do not want to be on the wrong side of things with God. All right? Then 1 Peter chapter 1 or excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 4, a very uh, very important verse of scripture to us here of late, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That verse we could talk about the remainder of this broadcast. So there's a contrast being offered here that there is through the scriptures, the precious promises of God, the ability to be a partaker of the divine nature. The divine nature, the character of God, is set in opposition or in contrast to the corruption of the world that is seen in the world's lust. Okay, So clearly that, that line is drawn. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 20 Peter uses this expression, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. So escaping the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Again, there's some important truth. How do we get out of the world? We do it by an increasing knowledge, a growing in the knowledge of the Lord which is a prominent theme in 2 Peter, and probably you could say First and Second Peter. So, And those verses also speak to John 17 today and, and what Jesus will teach us here, which we are definitely getting to. But I would like to read one more helpful, make one more helpful reference to giving us an understanding and description of the world, which I think will feed into our discussion today. I don't know how many of the listeners are familiar with John Eldridge, but he's a Christian author and uh, a Christian therapist. But he also has a podcast uh, that they do from the Wild at Heart Ministry. And they did a series of, of podcast episodes some years back on the world. And we are going to put a link to that in our podcast version of this so that any listeners to that could go and, and quickly find it. I think it was about six podcast episodes on the world. It's fascinating. I've listened to the whole thing through twice over the last two or three, Hmm. and it's definitely well worth a listen. If you want to understand, practically speaking, what is meant by the world, this thing that is enmity with God, 
that's opposed to God, that is on the other side of the battle line of God, that we should not be friend, we should not be comfortable with it. We shouldn't be finding ourselves like Lot dwelling in it. Well, what is it? What is the world? That again is referenced 190 some times in the New Testament. Well, here's a direct quote from a a devotion that John Eldridge wrote or a a letter, whatever it was, but it, it come off the website. He says, I think we have a pretty good idea how dangerous the devil can be, and we are only too familiar familiar with the trouble of our flesh or sin nature can get us into. But this thing called the world, what is it? Generations past have tried to define the world as things like dancing, card playing, drinking, going to movies, women wearing pants. Looking back, those things seem absurd now. Sexual mores have always been the other prime target, and that is getting closer to the issue. But God is very specific when he warns about sexual immorality. Here he is clearly turning our attention to this other thing called the world. And he's referring to 1 John 2.15, James 4.4. 4. I read on, Our team began kicking this around, this question, what is the world, in preparation for our, our series on the podcast. And what we first noticed is that the world we have created is a world utterly committed to con- Why else would there be a Starbucks on every corner? And they really dive into that thought in the first episode of that series. You can do all your banking, correspondence, appointments, travel arrangements, even turn the lights in your home on from your phone. Vegetables come bagged and ready for the microwave. The next level up appears to be self-driving cars. Why can't, eat, why can't we even drive our own cars anymore? What is it with humanity's craving for an easier way? The trouble with this value system is that the soul is not shaped, nor is character ever formed through comfort and convenience. Any parent knows this. The Christian life requires strong and resilient souls. The soul is compromised by a life of comfort and convenience. The world we now live in also constantly assaults our attention. Taxi cabs, elevators, airplane seats, gas pumps all have TVs in them now, spewing ads at a captive audience. Anytime you go online, Google knows your buying patterns and sends to your screen tailor-made videos and advertising. Push notifications, alerts, clickbait, everything in our life is constantly trying to grab our attention. We barely have space to think. So much so that we have come to prefer distraction. People check their mobile devices more than 80 times a day. If you think I'm overstating this, just try putting your phone on Do Not Disturb for a week. You'll see how much you want to check it. A third observation we made is that the world, as we now have it, prefers the artificial to the real. With medication, spas, and surgeries, a woman of 75 can now look 35. Artificial youth. Social media creates a sense of connection. And hear me now, I do enjoy photos of my grandchildren. But it is artificial community, as is watching a church service on TV. Artificial church. We use emotions, or excuse me, I read that wrong. We use emoticons little cartoon images instead of actually saying how we are feeling or better having an actual conversation with a real human being. We create artificial meaning by constantly trying to make small stories seem like big stories. Witness the Super Bowl, such hoopla over nothing, really. Men fall prey to artificial sex. Let me summarize it this way. The world, as scripture warns of it, is mankind's flight from reality. We run from God to create a world where, we think, we don't need him. We deny reality and say, this is all there is. So we are fixated on the present. We distract ourselves. We choose artificial meaning and community. We demand greater freedom and less responsibility. No wonder the Desert Fathers fled the world of their day. 
As Thomas Merton explains, the world was regarded by them as a shipwreck from which every person had to swim for his life. They believed that to let oneself drift, drift along passively accepting the tenets and values of what they knew as society was purely and simply a disaster. In the reading. I mean, that's spot on. I didn't even intend to read that much of it, but how could I not? It's absolutely all applicable. And as you're sitting there reading that, so there, there are far too many illustrations to dive into all of them, but I had several run through my mind of things that the world themselves are producing. Um, movies, um, TV shows, different things like that, that basically say the exact same thing. You know, mm-hmm. th- there's a there's a genre of movies that are being produced, have been for the last decade or so, but this kind of like dystopian society, you know, you've got the main character that lives in this environment that was created to be perfect, uber convenient, everything was going to be great, and everything in society is wonderful, but the hero realizes, no, this is a broken mess. This is not how we were, you know, designed to live we we got to fix this and so then there's this big adventure of the overthrow of perfection in society and getting back to you know how humans were intended to live i got the perfect movie reference oh yeah Uh uh-oh wally here it comes yep wally (laughs) started to say waldo not waldo i don't care where waldo is it's Wally. wally and there's there's several of those type of movies out there and so even the world that is the shipwreck is identifying. We're a shipwreck. We're a shipwreck. But they're looking for all of the artificial replacements. They're looking for the Band-Aid, the quick fix. So I was sitting down and I was watching some superhero cartoons with my boys the other day. And that was that was the big moral and lesson from that episode. One of the characters was, was wanting the... The, the quick, rapid approach to, to being a master of his superpower. He, he, wanted just to, he wanted to be the best, but he didn't want to have to put the work. And the moral was, if you're going to be the best, if you're really going to develop, it's going to take discipline. It's going to take practice. It's going to take training. You're going to have to pour yourself into this in order to get the desired results. There is no shortcut approach. And so, again, the world is saying all of this stuff, but the solutions that they are providing are actually shortcut approaches. The only solution to getting off of the shipwreck that every man and woman and boy and girl is heading on is through the person of Jesus Christ. So to everything you just said and recapping that reading from Eldridge, the world is committed to convenience. The world, as described, is constantly assaulting our attention, and the world prefers the artificial to the real. Yeah. Now, you just talked about how all these movies and these genres are out there, and they are very popular. But I think that also could be understand, understood scripturally because what's going to happen, what is happening, is what could be called self-fulfilling prophecy, I, I think is the right way to say that. But what I mean is the world wants to escape the cycle of disaster. They mm-hmm. know that it's not the answer, but they don't know how to get out of it, and so they are looking for that hero that will come along and solve it which biblically, spiritually, scripturally, is the inroad of the rise of Antichrist, right? There's someone that's going to come along, and Antichrist is not the guy who leads us in the zombie apocalypse, but it's the guy who actually makes the world seem like it is the utopia. 
and I, I got to throw out another John Eldridge reference because as I thought on that as you were talking, it reminded me of a chapter in his newest book, Resilient, called The Kingdom Without a King or The Kingdom Without the King. Yeah. That's what the world is after. We want the, They want the kingdom. They want what God has offered. They want Eden. They want the paradise, but they don't want the God of the paradise. Right. They want to be their own gods within the paradise. And, and, friends, it just doesn't work that way. We literally cannot have our cake of the world and eat it too. Sure. Or something like that. No, that's right. You can't be in it and of it. And st- you, well, go back to First uh, John chapter 2. You cannot be full of the world and full of the fa- uh, love for the Father. Yep. You can't be both. So with all that being said, let's go to, well, let's talk about this a minute. Real quickly, we were talking about this after yesterday's recording, categories of where we see this, these ideas of the world being perpetuated. Sure. Because I think it would be helpful in the sense of an awareness to say, hey, keep your eyes open, keep your ears open. This is where the world is promoting this. Now, you've already given us one of the categories, and that's entertainment. Yep. The entertainment industry is pumping us full of all these ideas and images and, 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 and the advertisements, and here's how you can have a better life. Look like this, drink this, you know, go here, have this vacation, drive this. All of this being promoted as the ultra, this is the life if you can follow this example. Yep. So the entertainment would be one category, but let's name another one. Um, education would be one of the categories that the world is being uh perpetuated in or promoted in. And by that, I, I don't mean just to say that what is often heard among our churches and out of our pulpits that, you know, watch out for those public schools and those those liberal colleges and universities. Well, yeah, there's a lot of problems going on there. But as you and I have not been hesitant to say, and we can speak from experience, there's problems in the Christian schools, the Christian colleges and universities. Because as we said yesterday, the world's not just down at the movie house. It's in the church house, too. Yes. There can be just as much worldliness in a Christian concert as in whoever the latest, greatest people are. Right. I started to say Bon Jovi concert. Hey, not going to get a lot of, you know, dated. Well, for the record, I, I don't, I've never been to a Bon Jovi concert, but I was trying to think of a, like a rock group, and it's the first thing that came to mind. I oh. could have said a Buddy Holly concert, but that might be even more dated, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, back to what we're talking about. Uh, what I mean by education in a very practical way, is the information that is being pushed into our heads and our minds. We're constantly getting fed. This is what you should think. This is what you should believe. And if you're not in line with this, you're wrong. Okay? Then there's another category uh, that we mentioned, economics. And you were speaking a little bit to that uh, after the recording mm-hmm. yesterday. Do you recall what you were saying? Yeah, just the the ease of See it, want it, and purchase it. You know, the impulse buy is so much easier. You know, years ago, I can remember being a small child and and seeing uh, commercials and advertisement come up for the latest toys, gadgets, or gizmos. Well, I mean, immediately, what flares up on the inside, oh, man, I want that. I'd I'd like to have that. Well, and then by the time I'd get to Walmart, I've done forgot all about that because there's been 14 other things that have flashed across my attention. And then even into adulthood, same thing. I mean, I'd like to have that, but you couldn't. there wasn't the immediate buy option. So, again, by the time you got to the store, pretty good gauge. If you still wanted it, well, okay, let me, let's look into this because the impulse buy factor was gone. Mm-hmm. Now I see something, oh, man, that'd be cool. I pull up Amazon. Oh, that's actually not that bad of a price. Hey, I can afford that. And all of a sudden, I've now impulse bought something that I may or may not have actually needed. But the bigger problem is the convenient 
I was able to cut out a step of prayer and examination and do I really need this because it was just no thought. Click, click, boom, bam, and it was taken care of. That would fall under the uh, the world being committed to convenience and a little bit of preferring the artificial to the, re- sure. the real. And then what happens is you get all that stuff and you have to build bigger barns. Yep. Well, the, the, the fourth thing that we mentioned as a category is enterprise. And by that, we're talking about the business and we're talking about expansion and, and growing and really making your name big out there and your company. And uh, I think to do our best in our careers is not the problem. Right. To succeed by working hard and achieving is not the problem. But it comes down to motive, really, with all of this. If our motive is making ourselves big, making much of ourselves, well, that's sin. That's not glorifying God. Yep. But the world is into you making as much of yourself as you can. This is why every 10-year-old out there, well, even 8-year-olds, my 8-year-old has said, I'm going to be a YouTuber so that yeah. I can make millions of money, uh, dollars and buy a Lamborghini. I mean, what 8-year-old 30 years ago thought about making millions of dollars? I mean, yeah. I guess you could dream about anything, but you know, this day and age, everybody's got their platform, and everybody is the expert. There's expert. Yep. No, everybody's an expert. Well, if everybody's an expert, Nobody nobody's is. an expert. But that's the world we live in. So entertainment, education, economics, and enterprise. And I think one with enterprise that I've heard my whole entire life, and I've heard it from good, well-intentioned men in churches, is, you know what? I want to work hard, and I want my family to have a better life than what I did growing up. And that's one of those statements that, that that sounds good on the surface, but if we peel back the layers of that onion, so to speak, well, what kind of a better life am I wanting for my family? I absolutely want my children to have the absolute best life possible. But what are my standards? Is it because of the house that they're able to live in, the cars that we drive, and the vacations that we go on? Is that my metric of a good life? Or is the best life a life of contentment and hate? Wherever God brings us, whatever God gives us, we're going to appreciate it and we're going to thrive. That's the motive that we're talking about. There's absolutely nothing wrong with working hard and having nice stuff. But if my motive is that's what I'm basing my children's happiness, my success on, well, now all of a sudden that's more about me and my image rather than the name and the person of God. So if you've got your pen and paper in hand that are going to keep to make notes, what we're going to do is fulfill the promise to get to John 17. What I'm going to do is I'm going to list all of these things that Jesus gives us. And then maybe to close out the week on Friday, Funday, we could talk through them a little more specifically. But let's list them. Now, I have a list of eight things. I'm not saying that this is a comprehensive or that you couldn't have combined these a little better. I've just There's eight things that I wrote down, and I want to highlight the verses for each one. So what does Jesus in his prayer offer us as our way to live successfully in the world but not be of the world. He didn't leave us alone, and he didn't leave us without guidance. The first thing I notice is in verse 11 and 12. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. The first thing that I see Jesus offers us in this prayer is the remembrance that we are kept by the power of his name. And I'll simply say this and move on. He, he points out that when he was here, he kept his disciples through the Father's name. 
But as he has gone out of the world, we are now all kept through the power of his name. Mm -hmm. And he said before he departed, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. So we need to understand something about what it means to be kept by the power of the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus needs to be something that we are living in and with. Number two, verse 11 also uh, speaks to being one with God through Christ. He says, uh, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. So there is this thing of being one with God through Jesus. There's a unity with God. How do we keep that unity? What 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 keeps us in a oneness with God? All right, number three, we're to be filled with the joy of Jesus. He says in verse 13, Now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. We get Jesus' joy, Okay. It's not my joy, it is Jesus' joy. He's the source of joy. As a matter of fact, the word fulfilled means to make replete, to fill up. little side note reference, uh, the Christmas movie, The Bishop's Wife, you still haven't seen it, starring Cary Grant. And there's a scene in that movie where he pours, they, uh, the professor, they go to visit the professor, and he pours a glass of wine, and as he's drinking it, it's like the best wine. He's like, wow, this is really good or whatever. And then while he's not looking, um, Dudley, the angel, just kind of moves his finger a little bit, and the wine glass fills back up. And he does this like two or three times, you know. So, but every time he looks, it's, it's, it's refilled. Well, that's the image of being replete with the joy of Jesus. He keeps us filled up. But if we try to find joy any other way, in our religion, in ourselves, in our hobbies, we're not going to find it. Okay, I spent too much time on that one. Number four, we have the gift of the Word of God. Verse 14 says, I've given them thy word. And the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Verse 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Okay, so we've got the truth. Number five is identity in Christ. We do not belong to the world. Verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And even back in verse number 10, all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. We don't belong to the world. And so we have this identity in Christ that we should be living in, and maybe that one ties in very nicely with being kept through the power of his name. Number six is our mission-mindedness, that if we keep our focus, he says in verse 18, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Keep your focus, be mission-minded, be holy-minded, and that helps us to function in the world. Number seven, we have Jesus' intercessory prayer for us. In verse 20 through 24, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. And uh, we'll look at some more of that next time. But number eight, the final thing, is we get this continuous revelation of God through Jesus. Verse 25 and 26, O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. And so the promise is, Jesus is saying, I will continuously reveal to you God's love and the knowledge of God. Stay close to me. I'll get you through this. I mean, we can make it in this world if we will actually adhere to what Jesus said. You know, one of our good uh, friends, whom we've never met, Dallas Willard, said of being in the world, he said, in fact, this world is a perfectly safe place to be as long as you're in the kingdom. That's good. Well, we hope you'll join us again tomorrow as we finish this up. and Have a great remainder of your day.
we thank you for joining us on today's program. We hope that you'll tune in with us each and every day right here on Daybreak Devotions as Pastor Mike and I will discuss various topics in God's Word. If you've got any questions, comments, we would love to hear from you at daybreakdevotion at gmail.com.